don't not do the thing. Just understand that fear is saying you haven't quite prepared enough yet to do it without sacrificing yourself in that process. Welcome to the Trailblazer Podcast. I'm Jan. And I'm Erin. We're best friends, mother and daughter, rural entrepreneurs, and business partners of over two decades. Over 23 years ago, we jumped into the world of entrepreneurship in search of our big purpose. Three years ago, our hard work paid off when we launched an international print magazine, Trailblazer, and business membership. Through these, we have one mission, to empower rural women by helping them build successful businesses, all while cultivating the rural lifestyles they love. So through guest interviews and shows with just the two of us, we'll be chatting about topics like growth mindset, intuition, entrepreneurship, grit, resilience, and so much more. We're going to equip you with the know-how to navigate the sometimes murky waters of entrepreneurship. So whether you're rural, rural-hearted, or intrigued by the rural way of life, get ready to challenge yourself while learning from our experiences and other rural entrepreneurs as we explore the endless opportunities that lie ahead. Together, we can create something extraordinary. Welcome to the Trailblazer Podcast. Hello, dear listeners. Today, we're joined with Megan Som, and this is going to be a conversation that will leave you thinking about fear differently in your life. So this is a follow-up from her article in our fall 2023 issue number 12 of Trailblazer magazine called Overcoming Fear, Taking Control of Your Life. So Megan has been writing for the magazine since its inception, which she's now into 12 issues, and she's just a wealth of knowledge. And we really wanted to showcase her specialty, her special sauce, her secret sauce. So a little bit about Megan. Megan is a mama of three kids, owner of a 320-acre wellness and working ranch, educator at heart, and entrepreneur of over 17 years. She loves to travel, spend time on the back of her horse, out in nature, with her family and menagerie of animals, as well as relax with tea and a good book. So Megan's passion as a heart-centered life and business coach is in supporting individuals that have fallen into patterns that no longer serve them. What fills her soul is empowering her clients to step into their power and claim a newfound sense of awareness, clarity, courage, and freedom. We're big on purpose and helping you discover why you're here, what gives you the, the best fulfillment and for you to realize those wildest dreams. However, sometimes we can have setbacks or barriers that we're not even aware of. And fear is a huge one. And so Megan, through this conversation, she really unpacks it and gives us takeaway tools the next time we're feeling overcome with fear and afraid to take that next step, whether that's in a relationship, in our businesses, or even about to start something. And she's going to suggest at the very end that we look at fear differently. And she throws out the word curiosity. So if you're curious how curiosity and fear, what that relationship is, be sure to tune in. See you then. Megan! <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> okay, so this conversation is going to be epic and fast-paced because first, we know you as a friend. We've got a professional working relationship. We know all the things about you and you with us. And just want to say welcome to the Trailblazer podcast. I yes. know what you're going to be saying and talking about today is going to strike the hearts of women everywhere. <laughs> yes, I definitely think it's something we've all gone through. That's for sure. 
just a little backstory. We first met Megan in 2016. So we're about, what, seven years into our friendship. And it was just after Aaron and I had taken equine-assisted learning. And I don't know, I was looking through Facebook and Megan's profile came up and she does this thing with horses. And you lived close to us. Yeah. yeah. I said to Aaron, let's get in touch. <laughs> yeah. So we came out to your place and we're like, we're just meeting. So was, who are you? Who are you? And As what yeah. women do, right? Yeah. The like discovering what we have in common and yeah. reading your energy. And then the rest is history because yeah. we've since done workshops together. You're a core facilitator in our membership. Yeah. You're a regular contributor for the Trailblazer magazine. All the things. For yeah. our listeners, Megan, tell us who you are. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of the, the three amigos, apparently. I get to be a member of this great community and provider of content and all those sort of things. And I feel very blessed to be in connection and in community with such great people and um, great women and big ideas. So I am happy to be here, of course, in, in this new model. I love the podcast. This is exciting. I am a ranch owner and a mama, and I have three kids, and we live just like west of Airdrie. So if you're not from Alberta, that's between the mountains and the main highway, the prairies. Yeah, we live out on 160 acres here, and then we have another property in Rimby that we have for pasture, and we have a full-functioning ranch with cows and horses and all the things as well as my business is in coaching and counseling. So I work with mostly women, some couples, some men, if they're brave enough to venture this way, and in a coaching and business coaching perspective. But my background is actually in trauma recovery work. I like to combine a lot of education into sessions. I teach people about their nervous systems and the why of why we think certain ways and have certain beliefs or why we have certain patterns that we keep taking action in over and over again in our lives and how we can incorporate some actions or some change in thought or mindset if those patterns aren't working for us anymore. So whether that is in your life or your business, whether that is like adopting new vision in your business or new ideas or getting through the barriers that kind of keep holding you back, or whether that's in your life and your relationships, that's what I do. I see clients here at the ranch. I have an office as well as online over Zoom. And then sometimes we incorporate equine facilitated wellness into sessions. So that looks like equine therapy and that's for one-on-one -on -one work, great work or workshops and retreats. Yeah, it's like a mixed bag of all the goodies to help us be our best selves. So that's me in a nutshell. Aaron and I each have had a, a session with you in the, I guess it wasn't in, in the, the arena, arena, it was in the barn. <laughs> yeah. And I, re I remember that clearly. It certainly exposed some <laughs> vulnerabilities that I was going through that I really wasn't even aware of. So definitely can attest to the uh, breakthroughs. The values, yeah, yeah that, that comes through sessions like that. Maybe you can fill in the blanks too on how you arrived like in the rural lifestyle that you're living because uh, what we found through the magazine is there's as many women as there are, there's as many pathways to finding yourself rooted in rural. Rooted yeah. in rural. So what's, what's yours? your story? What's your story? <laughs> So the property that I live on now was the property that my parents purchased when I was like maybe in the womb 
Not quite sure. I was two when we moved here and they had already lived rural, both of them, pretty much their whole lives. And so when they bought this property, we built out here and now myself and my kids have taken over parts of it. My mom still is here. She has a home on the other side of the property, which is absolutely fabulous support system. And I think that's the key, right? As I was born into being rural and then why would I choose to stay rural? Because once you have been able to be in this lifestyle, it really develops your character. It really starts to show you who you are in life and how you believe in different things and in yourself. And it, it's all about perseverance and also like nature and coping mechanisms and all those sort of things. Rural for me is an escape a little bit, but also a character developing experience. This is my space that is healing and soulful and being out in nature and with the animals and all those sort of things. But it's also shows me who I am and what my capability is and how hard I can actually work and all those sort of things too. So I, I think it becomes almost a little bit of an addiction. Which anybody rural you're talking to, once you get into that, you're just like, I, there's no going back. There's no going somewhere else. And I think it's really because it's soul nourishing at a different level that can't really be explained sometimes. We wholeheartedly agree. Would you be willing to share the story growing up and the health scare that you had? When I was little, I was born premature and so lived in the hospital uh, for quite a while, actually. I was born very early, like almost three whole months early. So I started my life in a hospital and then was able to come, obviously, home. And that was to the farm. And then when I was about a year and a half old, I got diagnosed with leukemia. And so back to the hospital and spent a good majority of three years there. A lot of time in a space that is high anxiety, high stress, a lot of unknowns, those sort of things, and a lot of kind of procedures and structures and all those sort of things. My mom and dad really focused on trying to like balance that part of their life and my life out and bringing me back to the farm, bringing me back to the ranch and being with the horses and all that. We get healing from many different avenues, Western and Eastern and all sorts of things that we understand and don't understand. And I attribute a lot of the healing that happened for me in regards to going into remission with being able to be out here on the land, being healed from varying things from the land, the horses, the animals, the nature, the air, all of the things. Mm -hmm. And so that was something for me that was obviously like one, an attachment and bonding experience with my mom. Um, Cause she was the, the one that was solely taking care of me pretty much. Uh, we had to be very careful about people coming and going between her and my dad and family. That was my life. Go to the hospital and then come back to the ranch. And I just had results that were very different than what the professionals expected. And even my oncologist, when I was 21 years old, was like, you're really lucky that you had that situation, that rural lifestyle, because we 100% believe it's a, a contributing part to one of the many things that was part of the, the recipe for your success. And going through something like that is is for probably more life-changing for my parents than it was for me. You know, obviously... I developed some fears. We're going to talk about that today. And I developed some patterns and some ways of being from that experience. But as a youngster, you don't really know what's not normal and what is somebody else's normal. And that, that might be different than your normal. 
But, you know, it's not until later when you start unpacking some of your beliefs and behaviors and reasons for things that you realize you were actually impacted by some of that trauma, you know, those sort of things. And then as I went along uh, in life, things were great. We had different things that happened. And then um, you know, my father passed away uh, from an accident on a job site. He was a firefighter in Calgary. And again, like my thing when grieving or when going through something very hard was to not go outwards. It was to go inwards, but go inwards in solitude and find myself in my space, but with forces and with the land. And that's where I went to spend my time as a kid when I was 10. And I attribute, again, the horses for me have always been my, my people, my bird. And that's where I went for that. And that's been my pattern is when I am going through something, I seek resources that bring me to a space of comfort, that bring me to a space of feeling safe and not as having to be as interactive. Like my tendency is to go inside myself. And I will talk a little bit about that in relationship to fear and developing character strategies and stuff like that. And part of my developed character strategy is being self-reliant. And that was started in the hospital when I had to soothe myself. At that time, parents couldn't stay in the hospital and I was in the hospital off and on for many years. I spent a lot of hours in a dark room by myself as a youngster and having to get needles and blood work multiple times a day. And you learn how to soothe yourself. And when you get really good at that, you become what's called self-reliant. And that means you find coping mechanisms to be able to soothe yourself before you would go ask somebody else to help soothe you or calm you or regulate you. Or So you struggle to ask for help and your tendency is to go inside yourself and resource your emotions and get it done. And so that became a pattern that I developed in regards to how I cope. And the land and the horses, fortunately for me, were part of that process. And I think uh, I am very grateful and thankful that I had that opportunity. Lots of people don't. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, because I think that's an important part of yes. your story, like who you are. And also it's a complete 360, a full circle moment to what you're doing now and how you work with clients and people healing their trauma and their past experiences, because look what you've been through. So I, I just think as your friend and as a professional that works alongside you, it's just incredibly beautiful to see how you show up for your people. And that shows us the depths to which you've gone through in your life. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah, that's very get emotional thinking about that for you. Yeah. And also I want to say I believe you turned 40 this year. Now you've got this long view to look back and look at how you shaped your career. Look at how your life is unfolding. You're a single parent now too. I know you didn't mention that, but you have a lot on your plate. You talked about self-reliancy here. What do you attribute to all that you went through in those younger years into how it's shaped you into the woman you are today? Because we've talked about in the podcast, it's just as important as who you're becoming as what you're creating. And so you're weaving this story of who you've become and you're going to talk more about what you're creating out there. But how does that link up in your mind? I think a big part of who you have become is by your experiences that you've had in life and by the people that you've had influencing that and the different forms of trauma and scenarios. And for me, 
I've always been somebody who just thought it's fairly normal for there to be adversity in life. From a very young age, I understood challenge. Whereas if I think you've never experienced challenge, it can come as a very shocking experience. If it's later on in life, it can feel very unnerving and very scary and ungrounding. And for me, I've balanced that piece of like, life is filled with ebbs and flows of adversity and resilience and then joy, like that kind of cycle that happens. And in regards to how that's shaped where I want to go, I've done a lot of work in the last couple of years, I would say around fear and around various different things that affect that flow and recognizing I don't have to go through adversity to prove anything anymore that I'm resilient so that I can experience joy. Okay, hold up. <laughs> yeah. Can you repeat that? You know, I think you just get to this place at certain parts of your life and being a mama and trying to do all the chaos and all the stuff like that with the running around and whatever, where you're like, what is my main need or goal in this life? And for me, it's peace. Like, I, I want things to be peaceful. And previously, like, how did I get here? I spent a lot of time feeling like that was a normal cycle to live. Embrace adversity adapt more resilience and see the the light on the other side, right? And when that becomes your cycle, you don't even realize it. But sometimes I think you adopt or invite uh, challenge and adversity because it's the normal pattern to do. And so last year for me and the year actually two years ago was very much about this idea of more peace. I want more peace in my life. And so I was making decisions based off of what what meets that need in me to feel that sense of peace. And then I had to attune again because what I recognized is that my own pattern, and I teach this to people, but my own pattern was stuck in chaos. And so I couldn't let myself have peace unless I had to have some form of chaos ensue preemptively before the peace arrived because that's what I knew to be what the recipe or the formula was to get it. And what does that mean? It essentially means you create tests in your life, you create adversity, you create moguls to try and get through and that sort of stuff, and or you invite it or you attract it. And now, don't get me wrong, life throws stuff at people all the time. And just as a society, we have been through so much in the last three, four years. And I still am very thankful that I have that coping mechanism because I don't get shook when things don't work perfectly. But I definitely want to move forward and in that life that we create you're talking Jan like is like not with that changed pattern where things can just be more at ease and I don't have to earn hustle or work for that ease to be allowed mm. or to be deserved yeah and we're talking about that in the previous podcast in terms of worthiness too so uh, I think a lot of us as women think that we just have to work our tushes off to get on the other side of things. And like you're saying, it becomes a pattern that we don't feel worthy or we don't feel peace or we don't feel joy because we haven't done enough to earn it yet. And that's so crazy. Women, we shoulder a lot. We'll, we'll take it on. We're going to be there for our kids. We do all the things. And we're not often at the top of the priority list in terms of just nurturing and self-care. So how have you found your way into that? Because I hear that, I see that 
yeah, in your personality. I know we met a couple of weeks ago for a quick coffee that lasted three hours, which is <laughs> the norm for us. But I can I can look back seven years ago when we first met and we we're sitting there sizing each other up. And just look at the confidence and assuredness. But I think there's a more of a quieter nature to you now. So what exactly did you do to help yourself get there? Because I'm sure you had to face some fears, which we're eventually going to tap into today. So how did you do that for yourself, Megan? I think a major part of it is adopting a healthier relationship with your patterns with the things that you're doing for whatever reasons you're doing them. And for me, because I support people in the discovery of that, right, I think it's it would be a serious devaluing of my own self if I didn't do this work around that myself. And that piece around exploring your reasons why, like, why do I tend to not ask for help as a first thing? Why do I think I need to do it myself first? Why do I tend to look for the thing that's going wrong so that I can fix it so that I can feel right? And so like for me, the last seven years has been like, I've always been a confident person. I've always liked who I am as a person. I'm a nice person. I'm a hard worker. I've got good values. It's like all those sort of things. So I've never doubted that for me that I'm worthy in that sense. But I've definitely had to really spend some time exploring and unpacking are the patterns that I've adopted for survival reasons, for the reasons that I needed to adopt them at some point in my life, are they working for my life now? And is there any tweaks or attunements that might need to happen for where I am in this current space or place of my life? And I think as we age or as we go through different experiences or whatever, we just hit different transition places in our lives where things get easier or they get harder or they make more sense or they make less sense based on whatever it is. But yeah, for me, being a, mo a mother has really guided that quieter confidence where I spend much more time self-reflecting. And I think you get more uh, just at ease with who you are like actually who you are versus like who you're trying to be or what you've become or it's actually who am I and what do I feel about that and that brings more ease so it's a quieter it's a quieter space to be in it doesn't have to be announced it doesn't have to be spread across the country I don't know just more at peace I think with who who what where and how I got here right okay I was going to say I liken that to the know-how of youth evolving into the wisdom of age and experience. And I think that is how we can identify as we're aging wisdom versus having to shout from the rooftops, this is what I know, this is my opinion, this is how I feel, versus that quiet inner knowing that, mm -hmm. that says, I don't care if you know what I know it and that's enough. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And that just because we know something doesn't mean that the person beside us doesn't know something more or different or else or whatever. It's like the comparison place is not as strong. It's not as important. I think we just get to this place where it's, this is my life. I only have one that I know about and I am responsible for creating the feel and the culture of how it goes day to day. 
and that's on me. And that's a big responsibility. And when we have a lot of things that are going on or fears or anxieties or like challenges that we're navigating, we are the ones that are responsible for how we react in those scenarios and how we choose to move forward and through those scenarios. No one else can do that for us. And and so that's been a big kind of coming to for me in my adult years from my younger years is like I had that I can do anything mentality and I believed that. But then when things went sideways, it was like, I need how do I get myself through this and how is it somebody else's fault? And none of that anymore. Like I'm responsible for my own life, my own reactions, the culture and the feel of my day-to-day existence, my relationships and and how we communicate and all of those things. And I think it just comes to a place where you prioritize a lot more, like what's actually important. When we're younger, we don't really have the concept of fear and consequence. And so we just go out there and we just do stuff. Then we some way somehow get hurt, whether that be emotionally, physically, financially, like whatever. And the minute we attain some form of wound, fear starts to dictate our choices. And then I feel like you get to a place in your life where you recognize actually fear didn't dictate those choices. I made those choices based on feeling a sense of fear. And so now I can take back that power or I can be more in my power and in more in control of scenarios that I do feel that sense of fear in. And a big part for me around fear has been like having the education that I have now, the training and all that sort of stuff and understanding the brain and the nervous system and like how we think about things and move through things. And like fear is to me, it's now a good thing. I don't see it or perceive it as a negative. It's just a signal that our body sends us to essentially give us a pre-warning around something, right? And that makes a big difference when you're not afraid, when you're not afraid of fear. (laughs) Because when you get up in that cycle, being afraid of fear, then that makes some different choices for you than maybe you would choose to make if you weren't afraid. So true. Yeah. And so maybe this is a good segue into what you wrote in the article on overcoming fear, it was laid out wonderfully in that you had five steps to overcoming fear. And probably in the context of the podcast, people listening, it's probably not life-threatening things, although it could be if it's physical or something, but we're probably talking about like fear of starting that business or fear of up-leveling or fear of making a big change, a career change or a life change. So your first step was to evaluate the risks and create an action plan. Gosh, it would just be great if you could speak to that. Like how would uh, a woman go about actually practically evaluating the risks and then what an action plan would look like coming out of that? I think first it's understanding that when you have fear, like when you have fear and it is affecting you in a physical manner or emotional manner. So what is fear and how does it affect us, right? So it's like a trigger in our nervous system when our nervous system recognizes potential for a harm scenario. And that could be physically, emotionally, all those sort of things. It's just a natural response in our body that triggers and goes, hey, there's an issue that you might need to look into in this situation. What then happens is that if we just use it as a signal such as that, then we can make an action plan, like we're talking about, we can evaluate it, we can make an action plan and we can move forward. But if we take that fear and instead of seeing it as a signal and we turn it into a story, such as this could happen and this could happen, what if that happens? And then it leaks into 
all these different areas of our life, we've now given that fear a whole new role than what it was initially physiologically there for in the first place. And so when our fear doesn't leave us, it's either one, because we're making it bigger than it ever intended itself to be, or we aren't doing what we need to be doing and we're continuing to do a same pattern that's creating a harm response in our nervous system. And so we need to reevaluate. So if we think about evaluating your fear, it's first paying attention to the trigger. So can you identify what the trigger was that caused a fear reaction in you? If you can't identify the trigger and you don't know why you're afraid, you're going to have a really hard time moving beyond that fear because you're not identifying what the actual potential harm is or where it's coming from. A lot of times we live in a world nowadays where we have a lot of vicarious fear. So vicarious fear is somebody else's fear that's projected towards us and then we take it on because it may be something like we've never thought of before or it's something we now feel like we should be participating in or whatever it is. And we know how media and various different things can really lead vicarious fear down a whole rabbit hole of changing people's complete belief systems and personalities and all those sort of things. And if we project our fears onto somebody, then they may take that on as their fear and then they don't actually know the trigger because they don't actually have a trigger because it wasn't their fear in the first place. So you, you have to know what triggered this in me. Was this mine? So that's a good question to ask, right? Did something happen to me to cause this reaction? Or did something happen to someone else that caused this reaction? So first identifying and evaluating, is this mine or is this someone else's trigger? And then knowing the trigger and identifying it, labeling it like this scenario happened and this is now my worry. Okay. My kid fell down and broke a bone and then my worry now is that uh, they're going to be emotionally scarred because they had to not participate in their birthday party and this and that, like how life is, right? And then we have all of these, like, how is this going to impact us? Really, fear just comes to be the initial red light that goes off and says, oh, there's a potential for you to have to address something here. If we can leave it at that, it, it's way better than going down the, that, down the rabbit hole of like anxiety, being overwhelmed, stress, that sort of stuff. Because that's what happens is the more we hang on to the fear response, the longer we push ourselves into what's called a hyper aroused state. And then from there, we can move into a hypo aroused state too. It just depends on our nervous system, which is fight, flight, or freeze. And that's a survival response. So Again, you're not going to really be your best self or your most kind of conscious self or you're not going to make decisions in a space of fear that you would normally, I would say, want to make. So that's a good rule to live by. Once you've evaluated and you've gotten it, your trigger is that you take the time that you need in that action plan to first, yes, apply self-care and resource yourself and get yourself into a space even time where you can just say, I'm going to take the next 24 hours before I make any decisions about anything. Because choosing to take action 
that is not effective, that's governed by fear, never leads us to the right reaction or response that we usually would have taken in a non-reactive state. So it requires such a level of self-awareness for all of us in our lives to really know, to break that cycle of fear, right? To understand, is this a real threat emotionally or physically or not? Because I just think of, there could be so many listeners out there who fears holding them back from starting that business or fears holding back from communicating authentically in a relationship, whatever it is. And to have that level of self-awareness. So that can be life-changing because if you can acknowledge or realize if it's true or not, then you know how to heal it or to move forward with it and take action. And that it can be true. And it's like a good question to ask yourself is, am I safe right now? Am I safe? Because there's lots of different types of safety. And so your nervous system might trick up on that and be like, well, you're physically safe, but you might not emotionally be safe. But then when you really look at it, you're like, okay, like in this moment, am I alive? Do I have anything that is like direct affecting that, that key core area, my life? Could I lose my life in this situation? And if the answer is no, then that's usually a good place to ask yourself the three questions that help you move through fear. And that is, what is the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst case scenario? What is the best case scenario and what is the most likely? Because if you can say to yourself, am I safe in this situation? And you can say, yes, I actually am safe. There is no risk in this moment for my life to end or for me to be physically harmed to an extent that I, there's no coming back. Then that's a good place to say, okay, so then let my nervous system actually know what the worst thing could be. It's funny, we get afraid of something and then we don't want to look at it, but yet it's all we think about. So we're like, well, I don't want to entertain that idea. And like, I'll have people say to me all the time, I don't want to talk about the things that could go wrong because then what if they do? What if I manifest them? And I'm like, you're manifesting that anyways, it, because trust me, your brain is, is coming up with filling a file holder of all of the things that could go wrong. If you just tell yourself and your brain, but mostly your nervous system, what is the worst thing that could happen in this situation? based on the trigger you discovered. What is the best thing that could happen and what's most likely? If you know those answers, that gives you the next level up into what actions that you can take to either resolve the issue or to move away from the potential of the worst thing happening or to ready yourself in case it does. Your nervous system knows, okay, if I'm going to bungee jump off of the side of this bridge, and I am now having a panic attack and like hyperventilating and can't do it. In that scenario, you're tricking your nervous system into being dumb. You're essentially saying, don't work in this moment. Don't do your job. And let's say we're an adrenaline junkie that does that over and over again. And we just push through our nervous system without telling it the worst case scenario, best case scenario, and most likely, eventually our nervous system starts working properly and it doesn't give you survival responses because it, you've just trained it to not do its job. So now how does that relate to women in a rural setting in business? It relates because our tendency is to push through and take on more and have no boundaries and not a lot of self-care and all those sort of things. And then what happens is we start to condition our nervous system to not actually come in with an appropriate fear response 
it ignores all the signals because they're like, mm, she's going to ignore me anyways. And then all of a sudden we're just overloading, right? And then you get to that place where you're not, you don't have a natural type of survival response anymore, but you have a triggered one. But all of a sudden the window of tolerance is quite small and you trigger over a lot of different things. And you're like, I've never had this problem before. Why can I suddenly not sleep? I think that's a really important message right there. Like what I'm putting you on the spot and I don't expect you to know like the statistical <laughs> amount, but how many rural women out there do you think are at that capacity, like maxed out, overloaded, operating at that level? So there's this activity that I have people do and it's called Resilience Mountain. And what it does is you categorize yourself of self-awareness around if you were standing at the base of the mountain, are you halfway up the mountain? Are you at the summit or have you dropped down the other side? And this piece around... I've hit the top and now I'm working my way down is that all rural women who have ever done that exercise, it's quite funny, always go down the other side of the mountain instead of turning around and coming back down the way they've already gone. And then I don't prompt it and I don't cue it. I just let people do the activity. And every rural woman that I have worked with has naturally put themselves on the other side of the mountain. And what that essentially means in that activity is that they push themselves into a state of what's called resilience overload, believing that I can just go a little bit more. I can just do that one last thing. We can just get halfway down the other side of the mountain and then I'll get that thing done. And then I will come back in the dark without food and potentially at risk of freezing to death and not using my survival skills. And so a healthy person would say, we've hit summit, it's now 4.30 p.m. And it's going to potentially start to get dark and we should start making our way down, even if we didn't get to that last stop. It's craziness when we hear it said that way, right? Because I'll just say, add myself to that. We're making this, the decision to do that. And you're making the decision to put ourselves at risk. Yeah. So do I have a stat? No. But what I will say is that rural women don't really know when to quit. They get quit. They get stopped. And and I, I don't want to say rural as in a general, but it's like that, it's that character strategy. It's that person that gets into that lifestyle that feels like they have to hustle, earn, or whatever it is, um, or even just gets into the pattern of trying to do all the things. It, it could be the same for a woman who is an entrepreneur and a mother and has a multiple businesses or whatever, right? It's just more the character that we build in ourselves around not taking care of ourselves and not assessing risks. And so if you look at like number one in the article, I'd say evaluate the risks and create an action plan. And I think what's interesting is that when I have people evaluate the risks when they're working with me, their tendency never is to include the risk of their own self-demise, like their own self care, their own wellness, their own mental, physical, emotional wellness is never even considered as a risk of where they choose to be, right? Hmm. And without yourself, like without a sustainable nervous system or like healthy body or mind, oh, that thing you're working so hard for won't exist anyways. So we really have to assess the risks of what we're doing by keeping ourselves in a state of survival because long-term there's a lot of impact, right? Yeah. 
Yes, I won't label it as only real, rural women, but every rural woman I've worked with in that activity has had the same response. And they will sacrifice themselves in a physical or a mental or emotional way to get an outcome, whether that is for a healthier family or happier people in your life or like the animals taken care of and this and this and this and this and this, right? Whatever it is, is like those things come first. And that's a conditioned patterned response. That's not, we're not born that way. That's conditioned. That's trained, right? And then that piece of what is the action plan? Action plan is like, how are you going to take care of yourself? How are you going to get out of a survival state? And what do you need to do that? And so... That kind of segues into point number two in that acknowledge and accept your feelings. So that's one of the things that a woman could do then. And so how does an over-busy, over-extended woman create the space to acknowledge and put a name, name the feelings? How does she do that? Hey guys, Jan and Aaron here. We want to take a second to tell you about Trailblazer. You know, the magazine that inspires the very guests we have on the show. So Trailblazer is a quarterly keepsake magazine that celebrates and connects you to the lifestyles and entrepreneurial dreams of resilient, gutsy, rural women across North America. From ranchers, makers, homesteaders, women in egg and beyond, it really is the perfect companion for those seeking a tangible connection to the rural way of life through the eyes and hearts of rural women. So we believe rural is a mindset. It's a way of living and how we connect to the land, the animals, and the people around us. And our Keepsake magazine is perfect for those wanting to connect to the way of rural through compelling storytelling, immersive design, and the heartfelt writing of rural women who live on the prairies, in the mountains, by the sea, and beyond. Each issue showcases the beauty and the challenges of navigating rural life with a growing business, feature stories, nourishing recipes, valuable life skills, mindset and development tips, plus unique and refreshing perspectives to bring the heart of rural into your home and life. You guys, it's really one of the most beautiful magazines you'll ever get your hands on. And we would love for you to find out more at www.trailblazerco.com and explore the stories that await you beyond the city limits. By being willing to be vulnerable, not with necessarily other people, but with themselves, it's that perception that when we feel something other than strong, we're weak. And when we feel something other than uh, okay, we're broken. And that's not true. I, it, it's the reminder that actually we are designed to have a repertoire of emotions on the daily. And we really have to come to a place where we are accepting and acknowledging that we are going to have a kaleidoscope of multiple emotions. And fear is just part of that. And if we try to avoid it, we're not acknowledging it. We're not accepting it. So yeah, like a big part is being vulnerable about it and being like, that's okay. And not identifying as that it makes you weak or broken or something wrong with you or not good enough or not capable enough or any of those sort of things. If it delves you right into a place of self-incrimination or lack of worthiness, then there's work to be done there. Then it's not about fear. Then it's about that. Yeah. Right. It's about doing the work around that belief system. But if it's just about fear, 
It's, hey, this is just a signal. It's just something coming my way to tell me I might need to change course or I might not. Yeah. And is that where the next one, educate yourself about your fear, does that dovetail into that? And so educate yourself. It's probably some self-discovery or whatnot in there. What ways could a woman go about educating herself, maybe looking at some ideas that she's just never even considered before because she's got so much patterned behavior around these automatic responses? So women are physiologically designed a little bit more than men to preemptively assess risk. I use the example of on a rural farm, what I hear all the time is that the mama went to the house and she cooked the dinner and she did the things and then she brought them all back to the field. And then she looks out at the field and the kids are standing on the side of the tractor while they're driving. Stuff like this, right? And then right away, that fear kicks in. And it's, oh my lord, that kid's going to die, right? And there's this huge reaction and this could happen and this could happen and this could happen. We are designed to keep children alive, literally. Like that is our physiological design is to keep children alive. Our tendency is to make up a whole bunch of information about something that potentially could happen but isn't happening in that moment. The, and the unfortunate part is that like the reason why we feel that way is because it could happen. It has happened. And we really do not love the feeling of knowing that it was going to happen and then no one doing anything about it and it happening anyways. So we get really stuck in this kind of pattern of trying to um, prevent scenarios, right? Because we know what's going to happen. And so that's that, that in between a woman's intuition and like actual just like basic survival sense, right? And like a lot of time people are like, how can you trust your intuition or how do you know if it's just your anxiety or those sort of things? And you really have to unpack the difference in yourself. And when I say educate yourself about your fear, it's, is this a me issue? Is this a, am I having an issue around something that I'm, I've previously experienced? So if it's tied into anything I've experienced before, there's a good chance that trauma is like leaking into why I'm having an anxious feeling about it, right? If it's never happened to me before, but it's happened to other people, so that vicarious experience again, and I don't want it to happen to me or to my children or whomever, right? Then that's another scenario. So you have to educate yourself about like, why am I actually afraid? Is it a present moment thing? Is it a past thing? Or is it a potential future issue? You can ask yourself that. Am I scared of something that's going to happen in the future? And am I scared of something that is going has happened in the past? So that you know the difference between those things. Um, yeah, no. So just do you know where it's coming from? Because if you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know if it's in the past or the future, you're not going to be able to soothe yourself in that moment or do the right action. If it's in the past, you're scared of being reharmed. If it's in the future, you're scared of the unknown. Those pieces. So how do you educate yourself? Some people really want to research. I'm like, if you're scared of flying, know the stats. Get on there. How many people have died from flying and how many people have lived? How many planes go down? How many planes stay up? That's what's going to help you. Some people researching and actually diving into knowing all the information and educate, like actually educating themselves about it 
changes the level of fear because it soothes their nervous system. So whether it's knowing the difference between is this intuition or this previous fear or physio physiological response, is this past or future or and then or is this now I just need to know more information about it because maybe I just didn't know enough about it. So if you don't know about it, right, your nervous system might have a reaction that is far bigger, let's say, than it needs to be or that it would be if you actually knew some information and other people just need to go off of their gut feeling. Nope, this is how I feel about it. I don't know why I feel that way. I don't need to know why I feel that way, but it's how I feel. And so I'm going to trust it and go that way. So part of that is knowing yourself and knowing what's actually going to help you in those moments, right? So educate yourself could mean just a self-inquiry or it could mean literally going and researching something um, and getting more information that you might need. It's fascinating and my mind is spinning. Is there a way for us at the end of, say, an, a, high, a heightened fearful experience, whether that be emotional or financial or you've just come out of uh, just a heightened experience emotionally or physically, is there a way for us to consciously state and have the self-awareness this experience ended and is there something that we can say to ourselves to cut that tie to prevent it from becoming a trauma that we take with us into the next experience on and on is there a way to like to be so self-aware in those moments to just stop it and to say okay i recognize moving on that da 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 da, -da. i think it depends on how one how traumatic it was for you and two, like how quickly your nervous system picked up on that tra traumatic experience and the level of it and how quickly it absorbed it into your nervous system. Yes, absolutely. In a, in a situation that you went through, you can self-assess it, acknowledge it, right? This is what happened. This is why it happened. This is how it impacted me. This is how I'm feeling about it. These are the body sensations that I'm going through right? Maybe shaking or numbness or whatever, right? And then this is what I now know to be true about that experience. And that could be I'm safe. I am still here. It did work out, right? And you can soothe your nervous system through that. Sometimes somebody else comes into that situation and actually steps up into that role. Maybe it's a healthcare provider, like, you know, you're in an accident and it's a professional that's on the side of the road and they're like, hey, everything's going to be okay, right? I can see that you're okay. I can see that the other person's okay. It looks scary right now, but in reality, you're going to be okay. And we naturally do that because our nervous system is seeking those three answers. What's the worst case scenario? What's the best case scenario? And what's the most likely? And so when we can give it that, it, it does, it stops, it has the healing process. There's also like physical things that we can do. So let's say like you have something that happens and your body goes into shaking, like a, a tremor response, it's called, right? What is our tendency when we get the shakes, when we're afraid, is to try and make them go away, right? So we get warm or we start moving around or we try to deny it or we just don't let it settle and we keep going through things. And things get trapped in our nervous system because we just try to deny them. We just try to move on from it and not actually let it process. So a good example that I give my clients of this is that how many of us have almost hit or have hit a deer or like something, a wild animal or an animal on the road when we are driving or had a near miss or something where we had to swerve really quickly and we got back on the road, right? 
And all of a sudden, what happens? It's like an immediate response. Our heart's pumping, everything's shaking, our breath is. And it's like, how did it even, it literally happened in one second. How is our body already increased heart rate, rapid breathing, like shaking, pounding in your head? Like, how did that already happen? And that's because like our nervous system is waiting all the time to do its job. And so our tendency is to, instead of just pulling over to the side of the road and letting our body have that discharge experience where it tremors out or where we have to rapid breathe for a little while or where our heart rate needs to pump and then it settles, is that we're like, that was a near miss. And we get on the phone and we call somebody and tell them about it. Or we get back or we don't even pull over. We just keep driving. And we're like, oh, you're a mess. I got to get home. And now we're back thinking about like, the bills you have to pay or the dinner that you needed to make or whatever. And you just push through it and you just carry on. And that's actually in a rural setting, a very frequent response that people have learned to do, right? Because let's say you're like in a pen working cattle and how many people come out of a pen working cattle without some sort of trauma? Whether it's physical and getting bumped around or kicked or something happening, whether it's emotional because suddenly your partner screamed at you in a way that you've never been screamed at before and they didn't mean it, but it happened and now everyone's got hurt feelings. Whether it's like you had to send your favorite cow down the road because you can't afford its feed and you had to load them up on the trailer. And that's just using one rural aspect, whether it's homesteading and like you crop dies, whether it's like it doesn't matter, right? Rural living is full of little tiny slashed adverse moments to very large traumas over and over again. And our tendency is to just keep moving, keep going, keep doing. And we don't actually let our body process it. Yes. At the end of a fear, could we stop and have some awareness where we're saying, hey, this was a big deal, even if for whatever reason, it seems like a bigger deal today than it has another time, right? Let's take the time to acknowledge it and say that it's okay to be afraid and to let it process out of the body. That's how you're going to hopefully not carry it forward as strongly as if you just deny it. Wow. Okay. That's very powerful. Yeah. Because I think that's the common thing is just keep on, get her done, whatever you're working on or driving toward. Yeah, totally. I have a feeling our listeners are going to be listening to this episode (laughs) two or three times just to there's a lot of big things to unpack in here and yeah. we're hearing it for the first time and then to hear it again, to be able to apply it to specific situations in our lives. And that's where the progress can come from when we are able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a nice lead in. So if we're unable to do that, your point number four is to seek support from a mental or emotional wellness professional. How would a woman identify when that's the thing that she needs to do? I think that's very individual for some people because I think that's based on the comfort of asking for support or even acknowledging that there's a need for it. When I say mental health or emotional wellness professional, the reason why I didn't put here actually don't call your friends or your mother or your sister is because in fear-based situations. So like in other types of situations, I would say reach to your community or reach to a friend or your sister or somebody important to you. But in fear-based scenarios, what ends up happening when we invite others usually into our lives to talk about it is that they feel like they need to fix it or it triggers their own fear response. 
And when you start talking about things that are fear-based for you with other people that are not professionals, it leads to uh, an enmeshment of fear responses. And so like your mom is going to be like, oh my God, we need, this has to happen and this has to happen and that needs to end. And this is never happening again because they don't, they fear fearing for you. They fear that this is causing you a reaction. If you tell your friend, they're like, we're going to ax that thing. Stop doing that immediately. Don't do that anymore. This isn't good for you because again, it's the same thing. Or they're like, run, run away or fight it or flee, freeze get out of there, whatever it is. So everybody's going to have an opinion when it's fear-based because it triggers a fear reaction in them. And so what I tend to say if it's fear-based is please seek professional, whether that's a coach or whether that's a, like a therapist or a counselor or your pastor or like whatever that is for you or somebody that's objective on the outside of your, your realm of people, right? Like your well of people that is close to you may not be the best people to have a discussion with when fear is the main topic. And the reason for that is just having somebody that's not going to trigger. Case in point, this is a total random story, but years and years ago, I was flying with family to Costa Rica and my passport was expired, but no one noticed. I was too busy. I was a student at the time. I made it through Canada Customs, got on the airplane, ended up and, and made it to L.A. before the airport people realized your passport is expired. So anyways, long story short, they American Airlines put me up in a hotel. They ended up flying me home to Calgary to do a fast renewal of my passport. Oh, but while I was in L.A. alone in a hotel room and I was young, I, I had to phone my mom because I was a little freaked out and scared and alone and I felt taken care of. But I phoned her and I knew the first thing I needed to say to her before even describing the situation was, I'm safe. And so I called her as hello. And I said, I'm safe. But and so I just case in point, unless we can trust people that they're not going to contribute to the very state of fear that we're feeling. And right. And so that enabled you to support me in a way that eased my fear and not contributed to it. Yeah. yeah. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. And what you said was like, I'm safe. So that goes back to what I was saying, where you're like in that place where you have to be like, am I actually safe? Is there any risk right now of me dying in this moment or being severely harmed? Right. And then if you can do that to yourself and you can be like, okay, that's the first step. The first step is because if you're actually in a position that you could die, like, you trying to tell yourself you're safe is not appropriate because you're not. I have a client that has mass anxiety whenever she drives with her husband. And, like, it's causing them some severe issues because she can't not be afraid. And he gets really frustrated and defensive about it. But the problem is that when he was driving, they got in a fight and were having a fight about his driving and how dangerous it was. And then they got in a very bad car accident and she was very harmed, right? And like in the hospital for months type of harmed, right? So now when they drive, it doesn't matter what he's doing. It doesn't matter if he stopped at the stop sign. It doesn't matter. She's in a state of a chronic fear around that, right? And then the one day... She said to me, oh, my gosh, I had this massive anxiety attack, full-blown panic, couldn't breathe in the car. We were driving home on Deerfoot, and she said, I'm just being ridiculous. And I was like, but are you? 
are you being ridiculous or is your nervous system saying to you something is happening? And, and is it old? Is it from the old injury, the old wound? Or is it new? And she is, we were driving, he was on the shoulder and we were driving 120 kilometers an hour trying to get around the traffic because we had to be here. And, and I'm like, oh, so really your nervous system is just, we're going to die again. <laughs> and so you can't deny a, a natural process in your body when you just want to conveniently forget or ignore or not potentially have more conflict in a situation, right? So she knows now the minute she brings up anything to him about his driving, it's mass conflict between the two of them. And so if we're in a situation where we know in a relationship or in a job partnership or in a collaboration or having to deal with a client or get payment from somebody or whatever it is, we know like we have this fear response, but if we have to then attend to something that is going to invite more conflict, our tendency is to hold ourselves in a state of like fear and survival response. So like anxiety, anger, frustration, impatience, we will move ourselves into a place of discomfort within our own self before we will try to embrace conflict in a way that because it's like a worse type of fear. So again, it's like categorizing your own fears and knowing what's more of a fear. So what's the worst case scenario in this situation? And for her, it wasn't getting dead by being hit by another person or hitting somebody else. So in that situation, her actual worst fear was getting in a fight with her husband that might cause him to leave. And so she kept herself in a state of anxiety and it was quiet and said nothing because she, the, actually in her mind, her worst fear is that they would not come through that argument. Yeah, we don't often realize that the choices that we're making are not necessarily always just governed based on what we're experiencing in that moment. It could be, again, is that a future issue or is that a present issue or is that a past issue? And in her situation, she had a past trauma that occurred. She had a present moment experience that she was enduring and she had a future-based fear that was preventing her from resourcing herself essentially in that situation so like that that can happen a lot and then how does one practice exposure to our fears and that's point number five that doesn't uh, sound fun <laughs> no it does not <laughs> i'm going to caution this because i am actually not a proponent of exposure therapy by any means okay but what i do promote is bite size experiences where you navigate your own thresholds of comfort and discomfort at any given time if somebody is telling you come on do it you can do it just jump just whatever right that is not healing your nervous system if you do it because you're coerced into it, or it was a lack of consent, which is a whole nother trauma. So when we do something against our nervous system's will, it's literally a lack of consent. And that is consent trauma. And if anyone knows what consent trauma is, that essentially means your consent has been taken away. And we all know what that does to ourselves. We can even do that to ourselves by forcing ourselves through a situation. But if you are the one, like driving your own car, right? You're the one in the steering wheel of your exposure. The key is to make it as small as possible. That same client I'm talking about is that when we were working on that experience, we actually had her daughter video 
driving on the inside of her car. Like, so she was in this, the passenger seat and she videoed probably 10 minutes of video. And then she sent that to us. And the exposure part of that was her just not even watching the video, you guys. She was sitting, I had her sitting turned and she listened to the driving in the car. That's how we started working her back into being able to even wrap her brain around the idea of getting back into that car. Wow. So that is a very small step. That's what you mean. So small. If you think it's a small step, how could you make it smaller? That's how you're going to ask yourself that, right? Right. Yeah. So first it started with just thinking of the idea of it. And then that was too much, right? Because thinking of the idea of it led to way too many possibilities, right? So then it was like, okay, you're going to listen. And so what am I doing? I'm getting her to access her different senses. So watching was too much. So listening was okay. So she could just listen to the sounds of cars driving by. And whereas somebody else's trauma, let's say there was a loud noise or something that happened or, or they were listening to a certain song or they were listening to the tires on the road and then the accident happened. Listening could be too big of a trigger. So again, it's knowing yourself. Don't let somebody else depict the exposure ever to your fear. That's got to be on you. You have to choose that. And it has to be as small as possible at first. And then gradual and purposefully. Like you you would be doing something purposefully. You're not just like throwing yourself into a situation and being like, let's see how it goes. No, today I'm working on this situation. A, a big one is when people fall off horses or they get hurt on their horses. And then it's a real conundrum because they now have this fear of riding or horses, but yet this deep sense of connection with their horse and this deep sense of longing to be back in the saddle or whatever it is. And it gets very confusing for the nervous system because the nervous system, ideally, when you get hurt by something, would just like you to never do it again. Like that would be a natural response that a nervous system would like from you is, oh, we did that and we got hurt. So that means we just don't do it again. So it can be quite conflictual when we want something deeply, but are afraid of it. And it can confuse us. And so, again, it is. It's the bite-sized stuff. What would it be like if I just watched video of me riding my horse from the past? What would it be like if I just sat on the side of their pen and just spent time with my horse again, rebuilding the connection? And it wasn't about riding, right? We play with all of these pieces until, you, until we hit a point where the client, or in this case ourselves, feels like, okay, that feels okay. I do an exercise too where I get people to stand and this is might seem dumb to people, but it's something that you can do and, and track your nervous system is that I have people like write it on a piece of paper or imagine a line on the floor and whatever that is that you're trying to expose yourself to, that's the line and or it's on the other side of the line. And so then you would move yourself back and you would have another line that you're starting from. And you would practice stepping actually first away from the line. And does that, do you now feel better? Does, do you feel calmer stepping away from that thing? Or do you feel like, no, actually I, f I felt nothing. So then I could step closer again. And then you would work at, with titrating between stepping and moving into it and moving away from it. And you have to honor your body. So wherever you feel where everything's relaxed, your breath is relaxed. Your muscles are relaxed. There's nothing in you that's tightening. That's where you stay. That's how far away you need to be from that thing. And then as you move closer and closer to it and you can still maintain relaxation, we now are moving into being able to attend to that thing again. 
that's a somatic exercise. It works with actually paying attention to your body's responses. If you step towards that thing and you feel a tightening in your body, any way, shape, or form, whether that's breath, your shoulders, your hands, like anywhere, you need to back away. You need to step back. And you can still face it. You're still facing whatever it is, but you're actively moving away. And that is something that horses have taught me about the nervous system, is that horses, no matter what, if their nervous system triggers that something is a threat, they're flight animals. They move away. And they move away until their nervous system goes, yep, we're safe. And then they'll turn and face it, whatever that thing is. So it could be 10 steps away. It could be a kilometer away. But they run away from it until their nervous system says, this is a safe distance for us to be curious about this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's the key to fear is that its antidote is curiosity. If we can switch our brain into a space of being like, I wonder why I'm having this reaction. It's less about shame and it's more about curiosity. And then your nervous system won't be so reactive to it. So when you do this exercise of moving in and moving away, and allowing that to be your truth. It's okay that I'm 12 feet away from this thing right now, right? That's okay. That's my truth. That's how I would then know what level of bite-sizing exposure I would need to address that situation. That's slowing things down and just being present. And I think there's a saying, the body never lies. And so listening, as you're saying to those somatic responses, and seeing where your body's going because it's so easy to run life at 90 miles an hour that you just override everything if you were to recap some of the things that you've talked about especially around fear and dealing with it three sentences how would you have a woman start to just be more tuned in more aware when she's overloading herself and how to start backing off and just getting that groundedness happening again. I know that's a big question to ask, but it would be great to have a takeaway for somebody to go, okay, I can start here. I think the beginnings of that would be what you said about curiosity is approaching our fear with curiosity. I think that's huge. One, it's okay to not be okay. You first have to get to that place where you're like, oh, something's not right. And that's okay. Two, then you accept whatever feelings come with that sense of not feeling okay. Okay, so like I want to run, I want to avoid, I want to get mad, I want to like freeze and do nothing. I don't want to think about this. So you have to accept whatever state of survival you moved into, fight, flight, or freeze. Am I defensive? Am I running away or in avoidant? Or am I shutting down and not wanting to attend to it? Okay. Acknowledge it, label it, own it, accept it. Then seek some form of support. So whether that be your self-caring agency, you're resourcing yourself, or you're going to a therapist, whatever it is. But in that moment, you need to nourish the experience. Your nervous system needs some sort of care, okay? And then it's, okay, so now we deal with the aftermath later. Like, you don't have to re-expose yourself in that situation. It doesn't have to be anytime soon. Don't push. And you're right, Erin, like that whole process that like of, of those steps, like that's the action plan, but that is the steps in the space of being curious. Don't be afraid of your fear. Fear is a natural response. So if you can move it into being like, okay, I have something to be curious about in this moment because my body's telling me something is not okay, then it's less 
of a big impact. It's less of an ordeal or a story that takes you down many different holes that could be not great. I think that's fantastic because that's also, that feels empowering because then we're not feeling like life is controlling us. It empowers us to approach our life and know that we can equip ourselves to deal with it and to move forward with it. So it doesn't take hold of us and we're at the mercy of whatever is inevitably going to happen or going to come to us. Or the stories that our mind might be (laughs) spinning about all the the ways that things could go south. So I just really like that. Fear is not there to prevent us from doing things. We have that thing in our head, I'm afraid of it. So then that must mean it's bad or I shouldn't or I can't. And fear is not there for that purpose. Fear is there to give us a signal that we should check in and make sure that we're cared for before we do that thing. It's like going, hey, you have some work to do on yourself here. You need to make sure you're cared for. So is that you need to like have some more education that you need to like take a breath is that you need to trust yourself. Whatever that care is, you need to give yourself some care. Fear is a signal to say you're not being cared for in this moment. You could be harmed. But it is not to say don't do said thing. And like that's the classic, what's her name? Susan Jeffers that says fear it and do it anyways, right? Is that don't not do the thing. Just understand that fear is saying you haven't quite prepared enough yet to do it without sacrificing yourself in that process. And that's what I see in women in business all the time, right? Is they're afraid of everything. So they either throw themselves in with no process and just do it because it's something that's scary. Okay, but then you've sacrificed your schedule, yourself, your boundaries, your whatever your thing is, right? And so if you do get a fear response, One, it could be excitement because fear and excitement live in the same part of the brain. So you're knowing the difference between that for yourself too. And two, it doesn't mean don't do the thing. It just means care for yourself first and then do the thing. I love that. I love that. And so that might mean maybe you need to research a little more before you start that business just so you are maybe are more enlightened in beginning, but you could still do it. That kind of thing. Okay. That's wonderful. Yeah, there's stuff that can be done. This has been incredible, Megan. Just thank you. And and I feel, of course, we're going to have you back. There's so many, all these pathways in conversation that could be its own episodes. I also want to say I just really appreciate you sharing your own personal story and for people to get a context for probably the depth and the curiosity with which you built your education and your knowledge base because you've lived all those things and more than once and your experience as a child is so unlike what most of us have ever been through so i i think that there's just something to add to that and appreciation that you've turned over a lot of stones and you've walked looked at death in the face obviously as a child with cancer and the woman that you've built yourself into coming out of it. And I just want to give you just accolades for that because that took a lot of courage. And I'm sure I don't know what your parents were like in your household, but there was probably a lot of fear of losing you when you were just this baby, right? I just want to say what you've done with those experiences and the impact and the value that you're helping other people with, you're walking the talk, you're talking the talk and 
it's wonderful to be on the receiving end of listening to it. I know this episode has gone a, a lot longer than some of our other ones, but there was just so much there. For those that don't know me, nothing is ever in the time frame that it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we just really appreciate you coming on today. And people, if you haven't, if you don't have Trailblazer magazine and you don't have previous ones, you can order them. But Megan's article on overcoming fear is in the fall 2023 issue of Trailblazer. And so Megan, now tell us how can people get in touch with you, work with work you, with you. What are all the ways? Yeah. Tell us now. The biggest thing I think is just to email me or call me. I'm, I like to just meet people to, to make sure that we're a good fit. Cause I think that's important too, is like when somebody is coming to work with me, we want to make sure that I'm the right person. And if not, I'm happy to refer somebody on because I am a little bit different in regards to how I do my work. Um, my phone number, I'm happy to have you call or text my email. And I'm sure we can put this somewhere so I don't have to say it out loud. Or my website is megansalm.com. So there you go. But whether that's in a personal coaching sense, people come for personal coaching really more specifically when they're feeling stuck or lost or like they just don't know the next steps or why they're doing what they're doing, whether that's a pattern or a way of thinking or a behavior or something that keeps occurring in their life, or they're just afraid and holding themselves back from moving through things, whether that be letting something go or starting something new. And then business-wise, it's all the same. There's personal work to be done in the business sense of things, and it's the activating the creative part of your brain. You have to let go of some other things for that to happen. It's I'm happy to have people. I'm happy to support where I can, and I feel very blessed with being able to be part of this community and all the great people I've met so far. Hey, just thank you. Thank you for showing up the way you did. And mom and I talk about it all the time how fortunate we are to call you a friend. Mm -hmm. So Yes, I feel the same. Thank you for having me. This has been so fun. Until yeah. next time. Yes, <laughs> and there will be a next time. You did it. You just finished another episode of the Trailblazer podcast. We love bringing you real life stories and know-how from rural women. Head over to our website, www.trailblazerco.com for today's show notes with all the links and special offers from today's sponsors. Want to help us grow? Tag us and screenshot this episode or share your takeaways in the comments over on Instagram and Facebook. We'd love to see you over there. So this is Jan and Erin signing off. See, see you, you next time, Trailblazers. Trailblazers.